This is the Employee Experience and Education Podcast, the teacher retention podcast for school leaders, and I'm your host, Eric Brandstetter. In this podcast, we'll speak with educational leaders, former educators, and industry experts to better understand the employee experience in education. Our goal is to equip school leaders with realistic and actionable strategies to keep more teachers in the classrooms. On this episode, we'll speak with Dr. Matthew Hicks, Superintendent of Northeastern Wayne Schools. A lifelong educator, Dr. Hicks is a member of the Principal Recovery Network through the National Association of Secondary School Principals and is a lecturer for Purdue University. Dr. Hicks will share experiences planning for the possibility of an active shooter, taking care of yourself after a traumatic event, and a resource you need to start using right now. You don't want to miss this episode. Dr. Hicks, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure for me to kind of watch your evolution from being assistant principals together in the same district, and then to watch you flourish to become principal and then superintendent of Northeastern Wayne Schools. You have some unique experiences and resources to share with school leaders today. But before we get to that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and why you decided to become an educator? You know, I was originally a psych major. I knew I wanted to help people. And I got my start working with children on accident. My neighbor was the director of the local YMCA's uh, youth programming. She ran the summer camp and she also did the in-house childcare. And it was the summer after I graduated, I was mowing the yard and she came over and she said, you don't look real busy. Uh, Are you looking for a job? And I said, I I am as a matter of fact, I mean, not real hard because obviously I'm here at noon uh, mowing the yard, but, I'd be willing to consider it. So I started working for her the next week, and I spent that year at uh, at the home base at the YMCA, and then I spent the next five summers being a, a camp counselor. And during that experience, I really had a shift in my thinking and how I could help people. I was uh, really good at, at group management, as it turns out, and I really had a knack for helping kids how to learn how to do uh, simple camp things. And I have a, a, a lifelong love affair with storytelling. You know me, Eric. I, I, I like to spin a good yarn. Yes. And uh, I went back to Purdue after that first summer, and I decided to switch majors into language arts. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's not a coincidence. My mom was a language arts teacher. My best teacher in school growing up was uh, Mr. Van Hefty, my mm-hmm. senior year AP teacher. Uh, I was a latecomer to AP. Um, I hadn't been in the honors program until my senior year, and I I had a lot of doubt uh, about my ability. And Mr. Van Hefty pulled me out in the hallway and said, look, you're as smart as all these guys. They have been through some more training than you have, but you can hang with these guys. Get back in there and do your best. Mm -hmm. And I have that talk in my mind all the time. When I sat down to take my first doctoral level course, I had Mr. Van Hefty in my ear saying, you're as smart as these guys. Get back in there. Give it your best. (laughs) So so I've tried really hard over the years to do that for kids and for teachers and for administrators and uh, continue to pay that forward because I'm so grateful for uh, that experience. And I spent uh, 11 years in the classroom, which is uncommonly long for someone to decide to go into administration. And what's funny is if you would have asked me in the first 10 years of my teaching career, if I was ever going to be an administrator, it would have been a hell no. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. That looks impossible. I don't know that I want to do that. And I was really fortunate to have some mentors uh, uh, talk me into 
considering it. And once I started, I realized that there was a real need for, for the leadership that I can bring to a situation. I haven't looked back. That's amazing. And it's so funny that one conversation that you had at high school has stuck with you and impacted so many people over the course of time. And Mr. Van Hefty, you said, right? Yeah, Mr. Van Hefty. Never would he have thought, I'm going to change somebody's life today because I'm going to pull them out in the hallway and give them a 20, 30 second talk. But that one little talk influenced your life. And now here you are influencing the lives of so many others. It, it, it is really powerful. And it's a reminder that if you have something positive to say to someone, even if it's a little bit embarrassing or you're not sure that you're going to navigate those waters, the attempt matters, right? Sometimes yeah. I find myself in these weird conversations where I'm trying to compliment somebody and they're like, you're the superintendent. Why are you talking to me about this at all? And I just think, you know, I'm going to put this positivity out there and I hope you understand. I'm just trying to support you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. So we're here talking about the employee experience in education and you do have some unique backgrounds, some unique experiences about something that's a, a pretty specific event that's happened to you. So unfortunately, part of the employee experience in education is this reality that anything can happen in a school at any point in time. And we do our very best to prepare students, to prepare teachers, to prepare all staff members, parents and community students, everybody. Um, but unfortunately, there are headlines about gun violence. There are headlines about emergencies that happen within a school, within a building. Um, you know, that really impacts the, the psyche of teachers. It impacts how teachers think about their buildings. You know, and I remember myself as an administrator going through Alice trainings and helping my staff understand what to do if there is an emergency, helping to train the students on what to do if there is an emergency. You know, we'd record ourselves, show it to all the other students in the building so there's a consistency in message and delivery. Um, you know, and school leaders spend a lot of time preparing their teachers to be able to respond during an emergency. Now, you are uniquely experienced to talk about what happens before, during, and after an active shooter. So what I want to do is just pass it over to you for a little bit. Um, is there any additional background you want to share about that before we get into some more questions? Yeah, I, I was really fortunate, like you. We were hired into Noblesville the same year, Eric, and, and uh, I, I really, uh, watching you continue to grow and flourish has been a real joy for me as well. Because uh, oh, I feel God. like we had our first day of work together, so to speak, in, in Noblesville. Yes. <laughs> uh, we, we were fortunate to serve in a school district that valued student safety and had adopted the Alice model. I, I feel like year two of our tenure there, I think we started uh, training with Mr. Booth and, and continued mm -hmm. to train. And I, I think we'd had it in place for four years or longer at, at Noblesville West. And unfortunately, on um, May 25th, 2018, we had a seventh grader come into the building that day with a firearm, and he was intent on doing harm to others. He uh, shot a classmate and a teacher. Uh, he was able to um, hurt, hurt both of them, but he hurt the student significantly. And I guess the thing that I would tell you is that Alice training helped uh, preserve life on that day. The teacher took uh, evasive actions as he evaded and countered the way that he was taught in Alice. And for those that don't know, our 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 hero in our story also happened to be a Division One lineman. So it doesn't help if you have a great forty speed and and can close uh, faster than most humans. So I want to make sure I say that. Yes, Alice helped and was a tremendous. Um, 
had an, a tremendous impact on that day, but it also had a tremendous impact on, on the recovery. Uh, I can't tell you how many teachers came up to me after our shooting and said, thank you for letting me know what to do. Um, so often people, uh, it, it, for fear of offending someone or for fear of being over the top, uh, are a little squeamish about doing first aid training and or active shooter training because it's uncomfortable. Uh, it's a fact. It's very uncomfortable. But having lived through what I've been through with that staff, I, I can tell you there were a lot of members of that staff that didn't feel helpless on, on a day when a lot of people could have felt very helpless. Mm -hmm. uh, they had a sense of what to do, how to protect their students, how to protect themselves, and had a sense of how to get from today to tomorrow, which once you suffer a trauma that pervasive, you move from thinking about what am I doing next week? What am I doing next month? What am I doing next year to how many, how am I going to get through this morning? How am I, get, how am I going to get through this afternoon? And so, um, I, I, I was in a position where, um, I had already taken a job at Northeastern. And so I was board approved in April of 18 to come to Northeastern and be the new high school principal. And the shooting happened on May 25th. And one of the hardest parts for me personally was I had to cede my leadership uh, because I was leaving. And I also had to go kind of into the wilderness and recover on my own. And so mm -hmm. I don't understand all of what it looked like at Noblesville to recover in mass because I was across the state and kind of had to figure it out on my own. Mm -hmm. But our but our recovery and our uh, trauma response was very similar. I'm very I'm very close to those folks um, to this day, and I can tell you that we all have our own journey. Trauma is like anything else; it's incredibly incredibly personal, and the response and the recovery therefrom is is uh, it's work uh, is what it is. So yeah. after the shooting. Uh, was very fortunate to to have an understanding of the first aid information that that is needed in a gunshot situation. Um, I would have your listeners consider learning um, about the Stop the Bleed program through the Red Cross. Um, when you learn about Stop the Bleed, it is applicable to gunshot wounds. But as I tell people all the time, I'm a superintendent in a rural school district we have every farm implement known to man on campus. We have a welding lab. Uh, unfortunately, there's plenty of opportunity for kids to get hurt and for uh, first aid to be required. And so sure. while stop the bleed is important uh, in a, a gunshot wound situation, it's also important in a Dremel saw situation as well. So uh, I would right. encourage your listeners to look into Stop the Bleed. Uh, most communities have an opportunity to learn it for free. Uh, it's not just for educators, it's for anyone. Uh, it's a great way to preserve life until first aid and, and uh, emergency services can arrive. Yeah, um, yeah. And what, a, what an amazing story. And I'll put those resources in the episode notes as well for the listeners. But the I'm sure when you were going through the Alice training, talking to your teachers, there was this part of your your mind thinking this is never going to happen here. This is Noblesville, Indiana. Nothing like this happens just like any other you know incident. This happens somewhere else, not where I am right now. So 
can you talk about, and one of the things that I, I don't know that I struggled with it necessarily, that's maybe a bit of an extreme word, but even things like fire drills, making sure people take it seriously and then I'm not being too serious about it, but we still want to take it seriously because it saves lives, right? Things like Alice, this concept, you know, this, this mental framework, if you will, of it's only going to happen somewhere else. It won't happen to me. I was actually in, I taught in the same building where that happened for five years. So I was in that building. I left administration before that happened. But even I, when I was training people, thought this isn't going to happen to me. How do you balance that own, your own mindset with that? And still, so people take it seriously, but also, again, making it a good positive experience for everybody involved. I always made sure that they understood that I only did it because I cared about them. I, there the staff told me a story at my going away party that I, that I'd kind of forgotten, but I, I got emotional in a training once because we were talking about how to label the map. Do we put teacher names on there? Do we put room numbers on there? How do we label the map? And I said, guys, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't care what you put on the map, but for me, I'm going to see your faces. Your faces are how I'm going to know who's in what room and how to get there. And I teared up a little bit because I knew like if we were ever in that position, I'm not going to be thinking about room 209. I'm going to I'm going to be thinking about Jeff being in there with those kids. And and sure enough, on the day when we were letting sure. teachers out of their barricaded classrooms, it was always a first name. You know, Matthew, it, this is Matthew. I'm here with the police. Teacher name. I'm here. It's us. I'm going to mm. key in, know that I'm coming in. And we're here to help you and your students leave. And so safety is personal. And if you don't know what to do to take care of your neighbor, then and you have the ability to learn it to, to, to the old Boy Scout in me, we have a duty. We have a duty to our fellow man. And that's not just lip service. If we don't know, if, if you and I are together somewhere and you get hurt and I don't know what to do, then am I really your brother? You know what I mean? Have I really done everything I can to take care of you? And so mm -hmm. I've always sort of had that mindset. And I train that mm -hmm. way. And um, you're right. It's hard to wrap your head around how a community is loving and caring and wonderful as Noblesville, Indiana would have something like this happen. Um, and I was struck by that again. I recently had the chance to go to Columbine for a, a press event uh, about the Guide to Recovery, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute. And I didn't know what to expect going into that building. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if you ever watched any of the documentaries about the shooting, Eric, but I had watched them and, and they're grisly. They're hard to watch and you can't yeah. unsee that once you've seen it. They've taken that space and it's, it's a beautiful school. I mean, it's a wonderful place to learn. You can tell their kids are valued and cared about. And I walked in there and my first thought was this could be any high school in any affluent part of the country. I mean, this is a beautiful building. Yeah. These kids are clearly learning a lot here. And that is a reminder to all of us that it really can be any school and it can be uh, at any time because we don't have control over all the variables in that particular equation. And what you said at the very beginning really struck me. It's, you know, we talk about these things because I care, because we care, because you are important. And that's, that's really what it's about is taking care of people, making sure that they feel heard, they feel supported, they feel appreciated and valued as a person. So yeah, we'll do some things that are uncomfortable. We'll go through some drills that are uncomfortable, have conversations 
that are uncomfortable. But the only reason we do that is because we love you and we care for you. That's right. We don't want you to be overwhelmed with a sense of helplessness should we ever find ourselves in this scenario. Yeah. Yeah. So you you mentioned, so the shooting happened and then you left to go to a different district not long afterwards. And then I, I don't know the exact words you used, but basically I was left to recover on my own. What What was that like for you? Well, so I'm going to tell a story that predates the shooting. I was at uh, school safety academy. Um, Noblesville wanted all of us to go, which I think is a great practice. I continue to yeah. this day. Uh, all the administrators in my district, except for one, uh, who uh, uh, for a variety of reasons manages the, the, the accounting and doesn't necessarily need the training. But every building level administrator and myself go to, to school safety specialist training every year. And it was one of the first years I went. Frank DeAngelis, who I later joined an organization with, but at the time is the principal. He's the principal of Columbine. He's still the active uh, principal at Columbine at the time. Mm -hmm. And he talked a lot about some of the some of the fallout from what he went through at Columbine in 1999. And he said, "I, because I've been in charge for so long, I felt like I, I didn't. I didn't." know what to do because I had to lead everybody and I didn't really know how to take care of myself. And, and he said it took him a little bit to realize exactly what he needed to do for himself. And um, the story that I remember most vividly is he's been in multiple car accidents in the month of April. And he said, I, I you know, April sneaks up on me every year and I get distracted and I, I just, I've had some accidents because I can't, I can't focus. Wow. And so what he said to us that day was, it's really important that even if you think you need help right out of the gate, you, you need to get help right out of the gate, because if you don't need it initially, you will. And so mm. I kind of had that in the back of my mind already. He, he really laid the groundwork for me to understand that I, I needn't dally, that I needed to get help as soon as possible. And so once we moved here, I, I made an, uh, um, I made an initial appointment with my healthcare provider here and said, look, this is what I've been through. This is some of the things that I'm still experiencing. What do you think? And she said, well, I'm a hundred percent sure you have PTSD and we're going to need to get you, we're going to need to get you in with a mental health provider. And so they made a, a referral. I, I, I go to a therapist in Muncie, which is about an hour from here. Mm -hmm. And he's helped me put some of the pieces back together. Um, you know, that first, that first month I, I woke up in tears every morning and I, it wasn't a little bit of crying. I mean, I would sob for 20 minutes a day and I couldn't tell you what I was upset about. I, I, it took me a, probably nine months to figure out that every day when I woke up, I was right back in that classroom. It was the only place I was. I could be in a meeting. I was in that classroom. I could be at home watching TV. I was in that classroom. I couldn't get myself out of that room. And it took it took a lot of months of work, and um, that's why I don't talk a lot about being in that room. So, because I get stuck in there sometimes. So I was really fortunate to have a great therapist. He he helped me work on it, and then I got a little too big for my britches and thought I was okay. And I guess the other thing that I would say to people is, um, I was I had a very unfortunate middle school experience. I broke both my ankles uh, uh, playing basketball. I broke a wrist. I broke a spleen in high school. Like I, I have a kind of a sordid broken bone history. And I, I thought it was going to be like a bone break. 
hurts like hell at first. You set it, you wait it out, you start to rehab it. It's back to normal. It's fine. Uh, trauma recovery doesn't work that way. You're, you're not really ever going to be all the way fine, but you're going to learn how to put the pieces back together to the point where you're functional, which is a great goal, especially when you start where I started. Um, when I, when I got up the next morning after the shooting, Eric, I was supposed to drive from my house, uh, to the high school. And you know how it was. We went to the high school for stuff all the time as administrators in Noblesville. I'd driven there hundreds and hundreds of times. And I got about a mile from my house and I was disoriented. I had to pull over. I turned the car off and I had to gather myself because I was, I was at the most busy intersection and I was lost. Like I did not know where I was. And I knew I was in trouble from that point on. I knew I needed some help. So. Luckily, I was on my way to my first kind of therapy session that was the group. That debrief initially after as the group helped me put together a piece, the picture of not only what I went through, but what everybody else went through, kind of the totality of the experience. And they started helping us understand how trauma would impact our lives, our sleep, our eating, our social behaviors. Um, and it was really a lecture. It wasn't even therapy, really. It was like, these are the things, these are going to happen to you. Uh, you're not crazy. And I guess that's the thing that I would have people realize. Uh, if, if you suffer a major trauma, you wake up every day and you're like, I'm never going to be okay again. It is, it is really the very worst feeling I've ever had. Um, I lost both my parents uh, at an early age, and I went through those losses and I went through the stages of grief like anyone else would. And I, and I had to get a little help when I lost my mom. And I was okay after that. But, but this thing was, <clears throat> it's a tsunami that it's just hard to help people understand. And it hits people differently. You know, there are other people that went through the exact same thing. And, you know, they went through a couple sessions and they seem to be okay. And, and they've managed better. Um, and I, I would tell you that we, we in the, the Principal Recovery Network, we talk about the fact that it's not competitive trauma, like your trauma and my trauma, they're similar, but we don't have to compare them because what you went through impacted you and what I went through impacted me. And we just want to be healthy versions of ourselves. Mm -hmm. well, I appreciate the, the vulnerability and I can't imagine how difficult it is to talk about and maybe it is cathartic to a point, but I'm sure there's some amount of this that still stings to talk about. So I appreciate your your willingness and ability to open up um, because a lot of what's happening in education right now, we hear a lot about you know teacher burnout, teacher stress. Well, the flip side of that is it's just as difficult on the administrators, not, not to make comparisons, but administrators have to figure out how to staff when there is no teacher that's there. They have to figure out how do I take care of kids when there is no teacher there. So hearing your story and knowing, you know, I did wake up crying. There is a lot of trauma, a lot of this, this emotional hurt that's happening right now. I'm sure it's going to be helpful to somebody out there listening to this. So thank you for your, your willingness to do that. It's definitely not, you know, the, the small town kid that I am talking about the fact that I woke up weeping, uh, is it, it took a while for me to be willing to talk about that publicly. But if, if somebody out there is going through something, I'm just going to tell you, it's not normal to wake up and feel like crying every day. So that's probably an indicator that you, you, you need a little bit of help. 
much like teachers take care of their students and there's differentiation, individual child needs, there's also individual teacher needs because every, you mentioned it yourself, we're not comparing trauma. Everybody, uh, they process things in a different way. As you think about, you know, caring for your staff, if there is a, a traumatic event like this, how do you think about differentiating the levels of support, the types of support that your people need? I think it, I think it does start to return to the important one-on-one relationships that you have as a leader. You know, you, as the leader, you have the, the group, uh, relationship. Um, I was high school principal for a couple of years. My ag teacher, who's now a full-time farmer, he, we're still close. My ag teacher loved to put me on a spit at every faculty meeting. If he couldn't find a way to skewer me, then it wasn't a faculty meeting. And people always said, I can't believe you're so nice to him. I said, he only does it there. Like he doesn't, that's not how he treats me the rest of the time or we wouldn't be friends, you know? So that level of interpersonal relationship with people understanding who they are in each of the contexts that you interact with them as a leader, those relationships really matter when you get into the, into the early part of, the, uh, of recovery. Uh, so as you know, Knowlesville West, there were three administrators and three guidance counselors and, you know, 125 odd teachers. And so we had to sit down over the course of that, that kind of remaining school year and into the summer and think about, okay, who have we not talked to? Because if you remember school was like three more days and then out. And so we just had a very limited amount of time. And so we, we we worked to make sure that we considered each of those faculty members and the response and who we needed to call and who we needed to email and who we needed to go to their house and check on them. And uh, it's really a time where those relationships matter because you know your as a leader you know your people or you should. And I would and I and I mean this as sincerely as possible. If you're not a leader who wants to get to know your people, then you're not leading for the right reasons, in my opinion. It, 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 this is a people business. If you don't care about the people, then you're not going to be able to care about the kids. Uh, and sometimes you have great advocate for kids who don't understand how to advocate for their people. And it's, it's imperative, but those interpersonal relationships are, are critical when you, when you come out of the initial phase of one of these traumas. Yeah. So for, for somebody to be willing to receive help, they have to be willing to receive help from somebody they trust. And there's no trust that's developed unless there's a relationship that's there. So that's, it's critical for anything you do as a leader. It's, it's observation feedback, it's curriculum conversations, it's student disciplines, all of those things it comes down to what's the relationship that I have with the other person that I'm talking to. And if there is no relationship, there's no momentum, there's no progress that's going to be made. So you, you mentioned the Principal Recovery Network, which is a, a community out of the National Association of Secondary School Principals. Can you talk about that a little bit and some of the work that you're doing? So I, uh, I'm very fortunate to have a board president who is active in, in multiple national organizations. He saw a press release on the Principal Recovery Network right, right around the time it was forming in 2019. And he sent it to me and I read it. And there was a line in there that if you had been through it, you could consider joining the Principal Recovery Network. And so I reached out to, to Greg Waples, who manages um, our group for NASSP, and he set up a meeting. And when I thought about the fact that I was going to be in a group with Frank DeAngelis, the principal at Columbine, 
and uh, Ty from um, from Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. I Ty Thompson is his name. I really was concerned about what I talked about earlier, you know, sort of competitive trauma. Like what those guys went through was was so much different than what we went through at Noblesville West. We were very fortunate that no one perished. We had we had some injuries. We didn't have any lawsuits. Our experience was very atypical. And uh, we got on the call and and they started talking right away about, look, you you know, trauma, even though your event was different than so and so's or so and so's, you understand trauma, you have a value to bring to this group. And so I went in uh, February of 20, we had our first meeting. Uh, where I was able to attend in person. And I will tell you, Eric, ever since, those folks, they're just family. I mean, they understand. Uh, we, we kind of have our own shorthand uh, that is hard to explain to folks who haven't been through what we've been through. And we each work to, to lobby for funds to help schools recover. And the group has been had a working document that eventually became the guide to recovery, where we basically had a brain dump of all the things that we had been through uh, so that we could help the next school. Our group's purpose is to help the next school that goes through a school shooting uh, begin the recovery process. And so after a lot of editing, uh, the leaders of our group, uh, uh, Elizabeth and Greg, uh, did some, some final edits and sent it off to a publisher. And we had a press conference to uh, to release it uh, earlier this fall out in uh, Littleton, Colorado, at, at the Columbine at the Columbine Memorial. So it was a really um, powerful opportunity. Um, I had not uh, thought of going to the school, and 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 certainly would not have gone there without uh, Mr. D'Angelis uh, taking us there, and. I had not realized how um, how in depth the Columbine Memorial is adjacent to the school. It is it's powerful. Yeah, yeah. I, I read through the guide, and there are so many just little bits of information, little little tips, little even stories and vignettes throughout that I can imagine. So, just like your story of I was driving, I got lost at this intersection. I knew I've I've driven all the time. Being in the moment you know, post a traumatic event, it's hard to think, it's hard to process, it's hard to figure out where do I even begin? So instead of trying to come up with your own best practice list, why not lean on those that have been through it before and have, can provide that guidance on here's, here's what to do. Here's some, some references for you. Here's some stories about what's helped us in the past. And, and honestly, it is, it is given, you know, Eric, this this experience that, that I've been through at West and and my colleagues there at West have been through. Uh, unfortunately, we're 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 part of a growing fraternity sorority members only group that is um, that's growing, and to think that we have a chance to get out in front of it a little bit so that folks know our group's name, our organization, because one of the most difficult things that we run into is we try to reach out. And fortunately, uh, Frank DeAngelis is still a very well-known name in education because he was the principal at Columbine, and he usually is able to crack the door for us so that we can try and help that principal when they're going through this. But our goal with with having the, the Guide to Recovery press conference and the work that we're doing 
and and thank you for giving me a platform to talk about this. We want to make sure people have this information before they have this this level of uh, violent critical incident on their campus so that when the time comes and we reach out, they know that we are not one of the many other groups trying to garner their attention. We're only there to help. We're, we don't, we don't seek benefit from, from them in a way that law firms and other entities do. So, yeah, yeah, there's a, there's a part of that, the guide to recovery talking about vet your, your suppliers of help in advance because people come out of the woodwork for a variety of reasons. And it all sounds great in the moment, but who are those trusted partners that you need to rely on, that you want to rely on? Even something as little as that, I would probably have not thought through had I not read that guide to recovery. So if you're a school leader that's out there, um, a link to this will be in the, the episode notes for this as well. Um, we'll include a link to uh, the community itself and then to the guide to recovery. Please feel free to download that. Have conversations with your team leaders, with your school leaders, because this is, as Matthew mentioned, this is something that is happening more and more frequently. It's a growing cohort, if you will. Um, so it's best to be prepared in advance if you can. Anything else you want to talk about there? Yeah. I, I would say also it, it is it is put together by a group of people that have been through school shootings for sure, but it is applicable to other trauma that you may experience as a school leader. It's really short. It's an easy read. It's mostly vignettes. I, I would highly recommend it for any school leader so that they have a sense of how to respond to something should it come their way. Yeah. So what would you say is the one action or strategy that you want school leaders to come out of this episode? Is it this idea of get the guide to recovery? Is that the one action you think people need to take? I, I think it's I, I think you need to do that. I also would encourage you to consider, you know, if you're if your safety plan is only internal and you've never shared it with your law enforcement or emergency response partners in Indiana, we're required to do a threat assessment uh, with a partner. We're very fortunate where we are. Uh, our, our Wayne County sheriffs are a partner for that work. But but as you think about school safety, and especially when you're preparing your employees for a response, having a community team uh, so that in the moment you know that the, the people who are coming into your building to assist you, I think is, is, is really imperative. And make sure that you are, you are fastidious about doing the, the drill work. Uh, tabletop, tabletop exercises are easy. It's five minutes. Uh, you can talk through scenarios. And then what really happens is people come to you afterwards and say, hey, I've been thinking about this and I've been thinking about that. And it's yet another opportunity for you to foster that relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I appreciate that very much. Um, and at the end of an episode, what we like to do is share a celebration as well. Today was a very somber conversation. It was a very um, enlightening conversation for me, hopefully school leaders as well. But what, what's a celebration that you've recently experienced that you want to share? Well, uh, personally, uh, all three of my kids are really happy and healthy and engaged in, in uh, athletics and, and, and martial arts, and uh, they're, they're really great. So my kids are in a great place, and we have a tradition in the Hicks family that if you have a, a, a personal record as a runner, or if you move up the next belt in martial arts, or you've had a really good showing in an athletic competition, there's going to be ice cream on the way home. And so I would encourage you, anytime you have a chance to give yourself ice cream, consider <laughs> it uh, a necessity. That's my parenting advice. 
Uh, if people want to get in contact with you, what's the best way of them doing that? My, um, my email address here at school is mhicks at nws.k12.in.us. I'm a public official, so anyone can get a hold of me anytime they want uh, via that, that email. I'm also on LinkedIn. And uh, if, you, if you need to find me, I'm the superintendent at Northeastern Wayne Schools uh, near Richmond, Indiana. You can look up our phone number and give me a call. Okay. That sounds great. It's been a, an absolute pleasure. Thanks for taking time today. And we wish you and your family very well. Thanks, Eric. I can't tell you how much I appreciate our, our friendship and, and being able to watch you on this journey. It, it's such a joy. Keep up the great work, man. Our goal at the end of every episode is to have a student in the guest's life say thank you to or tell a story about a teacher who has made an impact on them. Today we have Peter thanking his kindergarten teacher, Miss Moore. Uh, I just wanted to thank Miss Moore, my kindergarten teacher, for the, all the fun that I had in kindergarten. Thank you for that kind message, Peter, and thanks for making school a fun place for our kids to be, Miss Moore. If you haven't yet today, go thank an educator for all they're doing for us. This has been the Employee Experience in Education podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, and don't forget to leave a review. Thanks, and have a wonderful day. Yeah.